I think it's to be patient. I think with endurance sport, you know, you can start later and you can still be successful. It's an amazing opportunity for us to have a chat with Non Stanford, a world champion, Olympian, Commonwealth Games medal holder and triathlete extraordinaire who has now evolved from being an athlete to go into coaching. And I'm speaking to Non, who's sitting in Leeds in the British Triathlon Offices. So Non, it's a really a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. And yeah, it's always funny when people sort of read out your list of accolades. It very quickly seems like a former life for me now. <laughs> well, it's not that long ago. I don't think you could call it a former life just yet. But this is one of the things we really wanted to talk to you about is a little bit about your experience as an athlete and how some of the things that you have learned as an athlete have moved across with you as you become a triathlon coach yourself. So let's talk a little bit about your personal sporting career. I know I gave the highlights earlier, but if you give us sort of a brief overview for those of us who aren't familiar with your triathlon career. I actually only started triathlon at the age of 19. I was studying at the University of Birmingham at the time and all through my teenage years, I focused on athletics and running and had chosen the University of Birmingham based on both their academic offerings, but also the fact that they had a really strong athletics and cross-country team. So I wanted to sort of combine my studies with with my athletics and had gone there really with ambitions of hopefully becoming a professional runner, I guess, at the end of it. But unfortunately, got to university and really struggled with injuries while I was there and sort of found myself trying to keep fit in other ways and eventually joined the triathlon team because I'd swam as a youngster. So I could swim. I hadn't swum properly for many years, but joined the triathlon team as a way of keeping fit. They were very welcoming. And I think within a few months, it convinced me to give triathlon a go. And I think my first event was probably the Bucks Duathlon event, which is always in November, the Chile Duathlon. Uh, so that was kind of my first ever multi-sport event. I did the whole race in my small chain ring because I didn't know that you could move up into the big chain ring and wondered why everybody was whizzing past me. <laughs> So yeah, I had a very sort of normal introduction to triathlon, I guess, racing the university duathlon and triathlon and then did a British Super Series race as my sort of first ever elite race up in Strathclyde. That race was won by Jodie Swallow and she's probably about 10 minutes ahead of me. So (laughs) I definitely wasn't very good from the off. And yeah, just sort of progressed from there, really. I was really lucky to be coached by uh, Steve Lumley when I first got into the sport and training alongside Jodie Stimpson and Bex Milnes, who were very sort of prominent athletes in their own right at the time. And obviously Jodie's gone on to be very successful and Bex has moved into the coaching. So she was working with British Triathlon as a coach for many years. Uh, So that was kind of my introduction and I feel very fortunate that I was sort of talent identified by Steve and brought into the sport by Steve because he gave me sort of a very good, good start. And it was in 2011, I'd graduated in a year before, worked for a year and I was sort of at a crossroads where I had to decide, do I focus on triathlon and give it a go or do I get on with my life, get a job and sort of have triathlon as a hobby? But Steve was moving over to Malaysia So I decided, well, I'm going to move to Leeds with a bit of a push from Kelly Holmes because she'd been mentoring me as a teenager 
yeah, I made the big move and moved up to Leeds and, and said I'd commit to triathlon for a year and never really looked back after that, to be honest with you. I mean, wow, to be mentored by Dame Kelly Holmes. That must have been fantastic. Yeah, I was very, very lucky. So I started working with Kelly when I was about 15. It was actually the year that she won her double gold in Athens. Before the Games, she decided to set up an initiative to support the upcoming talent in British athletics in in middle distance running. So I was very fortunate that I was selected as one of those athletes. And then obviously she went to Athens, she won her double gold. And after that, we were all planned already to go to a camp with her for a month in South Africa. So as a 15 year old, that was a huge experience, a huge turning point in my career, I would say, to have the support and backing of a double Olympic champion uh, was incredible and learned so much from her and and, and lessons that carried from my athletics into my triathlon career and, and then sort of stayed with me throughout. And yeah, very, very lucky to have had her in my corner. And she even came to London the day I won the World Championships and was there at the finish line and gave me a big hug before I got on the podium. So she's been a huge part of my career from the off, really. And I'm very lucky that I was able to have her as part of my team. Absolutely. And if you don't mind, would you be willing to share some of those lessons that you had from her, like maybe your top one or two that you've carried through throughout your career? Train smart, not hard is probably one of the most important lessons that I always try to tell people is because I'm I'm guilty of it. I always wanted to do more. I always wanted to push harder. But that's not always the answer to getting better. And, you know, she was the first person that really tried to drive that home. It's about being smart and not always doing more. But the one that really stayed with me and, and makes me laugh, actually, she um, tried to teach us a lesson about traveling and potentially losing your luggage and having to race without without your kit. So she said we all had to pack up our stuff when we were away on this camp in South Africa and she pretended to take us to the airport. And we had to go to this pretend airport. We sat there for a couple of hours and then we got taken home. But when we got home, we had no luggage and we had to live for three days on whatever was in our backpacks. Now, 15, I don't think I had anything other than a book and some sweets, those kind of essentials, headphones. So I had to live for three days in what I had on. Luckily, I think I had a pair of running shoes on so I could go out running. But, you know, it was a huge lesson and you have to pack in your hand luggage, your race kit, your race shoes and some spare clothes that could get you through a few days without your luggage. And, and that's always stayed with me. And now I'm always the one getting on the flight with a big backpack with loads of stuff in it. I still do it now, even though I'm not even going to race. <laughs> I've got this paranoia about my bags not showing up. So just things like that, that I would never have learned before starting that sort of phase of my career if it wasn't for Kelly. Well, that's an amazing lesson to have in a pretend situation. So it's great that you had that opportunity because I know there's many athletes traveling the world to do triathlon in various places and and that exactly the same thing happens to them. And unfortunately, they are stuck with potentially just some sweets and a pair of running shoes in their backpack, hopefully a bit more, but you never know. I just want to say though, it was also really nice to hear that you had a very, what you described as a normal start an introduction into triathlon because I you sometimes imagine that some of these elite athletes uh, at the top of their game were sort of always at the top of their game you don't you don't always think about how they got into the sport so when you reflect back on that and then maybe talk to some people now who are coming into the sport as a new athlete uh, which I know that a lot of our readers are like, what sort of advice do you have for them like, looking back at your own career as well? I think it's to be patient. I think with endurance sport, 
you know, you can start later and you can still be successful. You don't have to have been doing it from a youngster. I mean, it's helpful if you've grown up doing one of the core sports, obviously, um, so you have a bit of a background, but there's no huge rush and there's no immediate need for success, especially as a, as a junior. I think a lot of people worry too much about how they're doing as youngsters. And, you know, if you're really looking at your long-term future, you need to be sort of thinking a bit more long-term and thinking about the long game. And I think the most important thing is that you enjoy the sport and yeah, you train hard, but ultimately you're doing it because you love it, not for any other reason just to take your time with it and know that it's the type of sport that you get better with with time and also with experience. There's a a huge element of experience in triathlon, just sort of knowing how to race, learning how to race, learning how to deal with the pressures of racing and the build-up to it. You know, there's a lot to think about with triathlon. You've got three sports, three bits of kit that you need to get ready. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of learning that comes with triathlon and you just need to take your time with it, really. And so you now have the opportunity to share that learning with the athletes that you are working with as as a coach. Now, one of the things that you have sort of maybe not unique, but certainly a, a rare position to be in is that you were an athlete yourself. So you have a lot of that learning that you've experienced yourself. So you understand, you know, what makes an athlete tick and what brings out the best in someone when it comes to either performance or training. So can you share some of those things? Like what what do you think? athletes need or coaches need in order to do that for their athletes every athlete is different and there's different things that make each athlete tick and I think the advantage that I've got is that I know a lot of our current athletes personally you know I've raced with them I've trained with them I've grown through the sport with them so I know what they're like just before you go out onto the start line Uh, I know whether they like just to be left alone to get in the zone, do their own thing, or whether they like someone to sit there and talk to them and distract them from the fact that they're about to step out onto a World Series start line. So I think it helps. I know the athletes really well. And obviously, you know, we've got new athletes coming up that I I haven't had the, the benefit of going through the sport with. But equally, I'm aware of all the different approaches that people have before a race. And I think part of it as well is is not overthinking or trying to do too much for an athlete before a race I think some people feel the need to fuss around an athlete or do everything for them you know a lot of the time athletes can do stuff for themselves and are quite happy doing that but the other advantage is that you know I honestly believe British triathlon is the most prepared team on a start line and that's in huge part thanks to the staff and the organization of the staff so I've also grown up through the sport, experiencing that level of support and seeing what the staff do. So I'm able to pass that on to the athletes that I'm now working with. But like I said, it's so individual for each athlete. And I think a lot of the time, the best thing is to sort of be silent and then allow the athlete to do things for themselves, but just be there ready if they need you. But that relationship that you build up with a coach or with an athlete, depending on what side of that equation you're on, does take some time. So when you're getting to know your your new athletes, you know, like how long do you think it's going to be before you really know them and understand them and are able to give them the support that they need or that they want or that they might not even know that they need and they want yet? It depends how open the athlete is to getting to know you or to letting you in and letting you get to know them. I have some athletes that are open books and it's very easy to learn what makes them tick, why they're doing it, what kind of help they need, what support they need. But you have others who are really closed off and it's actually quite difficult to get to know them. 
or for them to be quite open and transparent with you. And I think it differs quite a lot with age as well. So some of the younger ones are probably a bit more nervous and aren't used to having sort of a full-time one-to-one coach. Um, And you've got to sort of teach the younger ones how to be coachable and how to be coached. It's very different when you go from being one athlete in a big sort of swim club, for example, to coming into a centre where you've got a coach who sets your training daily, who asks you questions, who monitors what you're doing and sits down with you regularly. So it's a process, I think, of learning how to be coached as well. And it takes different amount of time with different people. And one thing that I would encourage people to do if they are investing in having a coach or, or have the luxury of having a coach through whatever institute you're involved with, I would say it's just communicate. Don't be afraid to communicate. It's really difficult for a coach to do their job if you don't communicate with them. And the more information you can give them, the better, the more transparent you are, the easier it is for the coach and probably the more you're going to get out of the coach as well. So it's definitely a two-way relationship and you have to be as open and transparent with them as as you can be, really. Do you find, as an athlete and and now as a coach, do you find that there's a a difference in the way that male and female athletes communicate with coaches yeah I think there's there is probably a difference I would say the biggest difference between male and female athletes is that you can't treat I think historically females are often treated like men in terms of the type of training that they're doing and you know obviously majority of research scientific research has been done in male participants and it's getting there's more and more evident uh, sort of research being done into females now and how females adapt to certain types of training load or certain type of training modalities but the majority of research is historically done in men so a lot of what we know is based off male physiology so it's learning that you can't treat women like men there are obvious obvious differences And yeah, some things are the same and, you know, the sort of basic principles are the same. But I think when you get into the finer details and sort of tweaking one to one individual plans, obviously we're physiologically different, but also emotionally and hormonally different. And, you know, I'd say on the whole, female athletes are more emotional and I just think females in general. So it's sort of riding the waves of those emotions with the females and reacting at the right time and supporting them at the right time. But I think with the men, they're not outwardly as emotional, but you have to then work hard at identifying when they're actually maybe struggling or having a tough time because they don't show it or wear it on their sleeve as openly. So it's a different challenge. And I think that's when you've really got to get to know your male athletes really well so that you can sort of identify changes in their mood or their personality that might indicate that, you know, something more that's going on than, you know, that is obvious with female athletes that I work with. You were saying earlier that, you know, a lot of the research that's been done has been predominantly done based off male physiology. So as a coach, is there a particular line of research based around female physiology that you would like to see that you would find useful as someone who works with athletes day in, day out? I think there's still a lot of research that needs to be done around the female menstrual cycle and how that affects athletes so there's a lot of stuff coming out now that's saying you're stronger in certain phases and you should be doing strength work in certain phases of your cycle but that's actually really hard to manage especially if somebody's cycle isn't regular and to plan an athlete's training year 
around sort of an unpredictable cycle because a lot of people, some people are regular but other people aren't so that's really hard to plan around so I'm not yet convinced that you need to sort of phase your training around your cycle but it'd be really interesting to know exactly what's going on and how you can sort of manipulate the training to suit so I think there's a, need, there's a lot more research needed in that area and I think it's maybe not just physiological as well it's psychological you know your mood affects hugely affects your training and what you're able to get out of yourself on a certain day and I've heard as a personal experience I used to be awful on the first couple of days of my period I'd feel terrible sluggish heavy but then I I hear you (laughs) yeah and I think maybe that's quite common in endurance sports but I was watching something the other day it was a BOA British Olympic Association had done a video and they were discussing the menstrual cycle with various different athletes from different sports and one of the divers was saying that she's actually so much stronger and so much better on the first day of her period so that's really interesting because maybe different sports have very different experiences around their menstrual cycle and yeah I just think there's a lot more research needed in that area and like I said I think it's in all areas, not just physiological, psychological, cognitive, emotional, because all these factors influence um, a performance, of course. I guess it also brings home the need or the the importance or the usefulness of tracking, tracking your menstrual cycle, not just what day you're coming on or when you're in a relation phase, but also like how you're feeling and how, you know, how are you psychologically doing? Like, what are you feeling bloated or hungry or tired? Or are you in a really good mood today? Like, do you, do you ask your athletes, your female athletes to track that sort of information? I ask them to put when they're having their period onto Training Peaks. So Training Peaks is the platform that I use to deliver the programming And some of them do it. Some of them aren't as comfortable doing it, but sort of getting there because there's a lot of people have access to the training peaks. It's not necessarily just me. When you work in a federation, you have the physios on there, the nutritionists, uh, strength and conditioning coaches. So you have quite a few different people on on your training peaks. But yeah, I get most of them to to log their period. And one of the first things I always think about when a female athlete comes to me saying, I'm really tired, I'm just lacking motivation, feeling really emotional. I'll when are you due on your period let's have a look you know if it's soon and that often explains things that athletes are, are feeling and can often put their mind at ease I guess if they're having a bit of a rough few days it's like well actually this that's the reason and I'm not suddenly really unfit <laughs> I think one thing that you can find with athletes is and I would have 100% been the same is you can be really irrational about you have one bad session or you feel rubbish one day and you think well I'm back at square one I've got no I've lost all my fitness and I'm going to be rubbish for the rest of the year so you know I think it's just normal to be irrational and if you can rationalize it with athletes by sort of having evidence about when their periods are that can really really be helpful absolutely yeah I definitely feel that is there anything else that you'd like to share with us or tell us that you have thoughts on about women in triathlon actually on the whole we're very fortunate in triathlon that there's quite a lot of parity and equality in terms of prize money. We race over the same distances. We get the same exposure by World Triathlon, for example. They have equal amount of TV and airtime for males and females. So I think we're really fortunate in that regard. And I think it's largely due to the fact that we're quite a relatively new sport and we haven't got sort of the historical male dominance that maybe something like cycling or football or rugby has where they've been around for a lot longer and so the majority of the history of the sport is 
on the male side. So I, I do think in many regards, we're, we're really lucky. I think the disparity probably comes in when it comes down to commercial sponsors in that, of course, male sport is still deemed more popular and more saleable. So they'll go unnamed, but I've had a sponsor tell me that they had no interest in paying female athletes anymore. They didn't, they only saw value in paying their male athletes and that they would still give me product, but they wouldn't pay me to use it, which was probably, I think, the most backward sort of step that I've ever experienced in terms of commercial partners. They were previously paying me and then decided that there was no value in paying women women anymore. They would only pay male athletes. And yeah, that was probably the most upsetting, just in terms of sort of progress in women's sport. And this was only a couple of years ago. It wasn't that long ago at all. But other than that, I've been really, really fortunate. And, you know, I do think that probably my male equivalent have been paid more by commercial partners than me over the years, for sure. But in terms of prize money and exposure, I think we do we do really well. And there's always progress to be made. But I think World Triathlon are doing some brilliant things in women's triathlon. They've brought in the pregnancy clause, whereby a female athlete who falls pregnant during their career they'll freeze their points and then you have two years postpartum to come back into the sport with your frozen points. So that really gives a great opportunity for, you know, female athletes to also be mums and and have children and, and still feel like they can come back into the sport without too many barriers put in their way. And then the other thing that they've recently started doing is providing daycare at races. So, for example, at the grand final in Pontevedra this weekend, they provided free childcare across the three days of racing that any elite athletes or elite staff could use. And I don't think they made a big enough deal about that, but I thought that was incredibly progressive and such a, a great initiative. And I know they're hoping to roll it out across more events next year where where they you know actually can do that. And there is sort of the facilities to do that. So yeah, you know, we're, there's places to make progress, but triathlon are really at the forefront of trying to better support and promote their female athletes. That's wonderful that they have childcare on, on site. That's, that'd be brilliant. Uh, it'd be nice to see that as some of the other maybe smaller races for us age groupers, but I know that's uh, not always easy to provide. Um, so but you, you've just come back from Pontevedra from the racing over there and you were coaching, was it one of your, one of your athletes was racing? Yeah. So one of the athletes I coached just Fulagar, she was racing in the under 23 women's race. So I didn't actually get to go for the races themselves. I was over there in the days before through my role with World Triathlon Athlete Committee. But yeah, she had a brilliant day. Really, really proud of her. She was really aggressive in the race, really committed hard to her plan of going off the front and attacking the race. It didn't quite pay off, but she did a fantastic job of showing that you know, she's super strong and got a really bright future ahead of her. So we're all really excited about Jess and, and what she can do in the future. And I think she was, she, bless her, was a bit disappointed with the result, but we're really proud of her and, and for her for committing to, to such a tough race plan. And it was a brilliant weekend of racing. Great Britain were very successful in, we had two world titles with Beth Potter and Dave Ellis and some fantastic performances especially from Kate Walsh she really stepped up so a great weekend of racing for British triathlon it's always a bit of a mix a mixed bag when you go to a championship highs and lows but yeah on the whole I think everyone is really pleased with how it went earlier in our conversation you said that when people are starting out in triathlon they should be patient that there's no immediate need 
for success in this sport and that it comes with time and with age. What advice do you have for people when it comes to considering what success looks like in racing in triathlon across all sort of levels, whether it's age groupers just coming in or elite athletes just starting out on their sort of pro career? I think it's personal to you and to your stage of development, of course. And I think if you can go into a race, you know, it's a bit of a buzzword, but having process goals. So in the swim, say if you're just starting out, I'm going to try and breathe every three strokes. And if I get hit going around a swim boy, I'm not going to get panicked by it. And then in transition, my goal is to jump on my bike with my shoes clipped in. And then on the bike, I'm going to try and hold 200 watts for the whole race. And on the run, I went to practice taking a gel. So you can have process goals that, you know, aren't dependent on the outcome of the race, but help you actually have a good outcome. So I would always say, even to the, you know, most elite athletes, focus on your process goals. And at the end of the race, you can reflect back and say, yes, I did that one. That one didn't really go very well. But then there's always things that you've done well in a race. And it's not just, oh, I finished, I don't know, I finished 35th and I wanted to finish in the top 20. You know, it's okay to have outcome goals. But I think if you focus primarily on your process goals, they should deliver you to better outcomes anyway. And just sort of make a race far less daunting if you can break it down in that way. No, and thank you so much for sharing that little bit of advice to finish off this conversation and for taking the time to chat to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, thank you very much for having me. Thank you.